Family photos can tell you a lot about a family. If you flip through my family photo albums, for instance, one thing you'll learn is that my dad has something of a daredevil streak. One of his favorite things to do when I was an infant was to balance me in the palm of his hand, standing up like a pole. Since then, he's explained how it works. Infants' legs lock instinctively if you put pressure on them. So he would place my legs in the palm of his hand and then push me up and show me off. It was a good party trick. (laughs) You can see lots of photos like this um, if you flip through my family photo albums. And in all of them, I'm smiling and he's smiling. The photo that really shows off this daredevil streak, though, is one he doesn't even appear in. It's a photo of me floating in the air, suspended among some trees, kind of among the leaves. His hand doesn't appear, and neither does my mother's, no doubt, worried face. Of course, he must have caught me, because I'm standing here today. (laughs) Our reading from Hosea shows us the family photos of God and Israel. They're images of Israel in its youth. And the language God uses is physical and intimate. It was I, God says, who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. God loved Israel like an attentive parent, feeding Israel, teaching Israel to walk, delighting in being in the presence of this child. But that's not the only photo we get of Israel and God. As we flip further along in their family photo album, we see some more painful images. My people, God says, are bent on turning away from me. The more I called to them, the more they went from me, God says. The one God had taught to walk had walked away from him. Israel had grown up and grown estranged from God. If this was a photo, it would be one of Israel with his back toward God. So what happened? Why this estrangement? The book of Hosea tells this story in more depth. Israel's rebellion began with its prosperity. As Israel's wealth increased, so did the number of altars they had to foreign gods. And this wasn't a coincidence. Israel's wealth came from its neighbors, and its neighbors brought along their gods with their goods. Temples were places where business was conducted, and savvy merchants would show up at the altar just to get in with the right people. And over time, the Israelites began to trust in these gods and not the Lord. After all, these gods promised some pretty helpful things, good crops, Abundant families, victory in battle, and for a while, this trust seemed justified. Assyria and Egypt, the two wealthiest nations in the ancient world, opened up their economic life to Israel as Israel opened up its religious life to the nations. But after a while, Assyria decided, as empires tend to do, that conquest would be more profitable than trade. It annexed the little country to the east and took all the Israelite leaders into exile. What happened between these photos 
in God's album of, um, in God's album with Israel, is that Israel walked away from God and into the hands of an empire. The Israelites, in short, grew prosperous, and then they grew idolatrous, and then they became enslaved. And God, who loved them like a parent, let them go, hoping that this punishment would eventually bring them back to him. Israel's story in Hosea is part of a pattern in the Old Testament. It's a pattern with three steps. Israel gets rich, Israel stops trusting in God and starts trusting in foreign gods. And third, Israel becomes enslaved, either to foreign, go- foreign nations or to domestic tyrants. Now, it'd be convenient to think that this pattern was relegated to a place far away, a time long ago, but I'm not sure that'd be true. This pattern sounds like a human pattern. When we grow rich, we have more than we need, and God becomes less interesting. Our attention turns to the little local deities that have helped us so far, tools that help us know and secure our future, and we begin to trust them instead. Then something shifts. The things we thought we possessed begin to possess us. Our tools start to exercise mastery over us. Of course, one of the tools that we trust these days are the ones that we carry in our pockets. And I know a little bit about this. Until last month, I'd never had a smartphone before. I'd worried up until that point that I'd always be distracted having the internet in my pocket. But so far, I've liked it quite a lot. (laughs) Thanks to Google Maps, I get lost far less frequently in Nashville. And I can respond to my wife's texts with witty emojis. At least I think they're witty. Um... But there's one thing that has given me pause. I've noticed that just checking the weather or checking the news, I get this sense that I have some control over my future just from the knowledge of what might happen. And I find myself liking that feeling, trusting it. One month in, I'm not yet addicted to my iPhone or to the control that it gives me, but I think the temptation is there. It has the potential to be an idol. Thomas Traherne, a 17th century Anglican mystic, once said this, Never was anything in this world loved too much, but many things have been loved in a false way. We make things into idols, not by loving them too much, but by loving them falsely, by trusting in them and by submitting ourselves to them. As God's dialogue with the rich man in today's gospel shows, We can't trust our calculations for the future or our tools to secure what happens to us. No, to this very day, our soul may be required of us. The only way to be truly free in the present is to trust God, the parent who loves us, from whom we came and to whom we will return. The end of chapter 11 Hosea changes the metaphor he's been using to talk about God in Israel. Instead of picturing God as a parent who is attentive to this infant, he shows God as a roaring lion, and Israel as this lion's cubs who hear his call. 
His children shall come trembling for the West, he says. The Israelites will return from exile, God promises. But when they return, they may still be trembling from the idols that had gripped them. God makes the same promise to us. We will return to God. But when we come, we may still be shaking off the addictions and obsessions to the things that we've made into idols. Think back for a moment to the photo that I shared at the beginning. There's me suspended in the air in the trees. Our life is like that moment. We're suspended. We've come from God and we will return to God. But for now, we're up in the air. We're between these times, suspended, and God's hands, like my dad's in that picture, aren't visible. Our task in this time is to trust God, to trust that the hands that made us, though invisible now, are more trustworthy than all the glittering idols with their false promises. Our only sure future lies in God's hands, and those hands will catch us and will welcome us home. Amen.